Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Before this very special podcast gets started, I wanted to inform you that I traveled on site to Berkeley, California to speak with Joanna Macy herself. While there, we had such a beautiful connection and conversation. This is part one of a two-part series. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the podcast, Joanna Macy. Joanna is an educator, a writer, a Buddhist practitioner, a speaker, a nuclear activist, and her work is also taught at Naropa University in the Joanna Macy Center. I would also just like to give personal thanks to you for speaking with me, and I would also just like to give personal thanks for the land in which we speak upon. And it is such an honor and a pleasure in this moment to just to be speaking with you. And thank you for having me. We're both in Berkeley at this moment, just having a beautiful conversation. How are you doing today? I am so happy to see you, David, and to feel that we're doing this for Naropa, with Naropa, and my heart feels warm. And it's also warm because of the way you thank the land. Mm. This is occupied Ohlone territory. Yes. And just in the last year, there's been incredibly growth of interest and awareness on the part of all the folks who've been here. Yeah. And it's happening beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I actually met you a couple years back working for Naropa. I was running the video and audio back then, and I didn't get to interview you, but I got to be in your presence. I got to see so many of your talks and you just have this inspirational way of flowing a conversation and just holding space. It was just so beautiful and it just feels kind of surreal to me to be here in Berkeley to actually be speaking with you. In my kitchen. We're hanging out in your kitchen. We got some tea. Yeah. We're just having a good time. So thank you so much. So you have the Joanna Macy Center at Naropa and they're teaching the work that you do with like the work that reconnects and nuclear activism and just involvement, understanding what is actually happening. What is it like having that program at a Buddhist inspired university for you? Oh, it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. You know, my initial fascination and appetite for Naropa started in when I came out here to Boulder mm-hmm. in 78. So my goodness, that was That's 41 years ago. Wow, okay. And so that when it was proposed to me that I could have, there'd be a center for the work I do. Yeah. And it was just uh, such a blessing. It seemed too good to be true because mm. I have already been teaching in environmental studies there. I had already been there as a lens scholar. Yeah. I had had so much affection for that and so much gratitude that the Buddha Dharma, that ancient and ever new tradition, was being brought where young people and people from all ages could enjoy it and feel its relevance mm-hmm. to this time. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. So I had this interesting idea when I was looking into the work that reconnects. I had this thought and I was like, what is it we are disconnected from and what is it we are reconnecting to? And I was Mm. just kind of hoping maybe you can speak upon that. Oh, yes, we are rootless kind of in a way. We're disconnected Mm -hmm. from our bodies. And so it's wonderful that Naropa has so much that courses that help people re-inhabit and reconnect with their senses. Yeah. And then through that and through the meditations that ground you in your body to become uh, 
curious and develop an appetite for knowing this world and to know it directly. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the problems of our time, whether it's economic problems and even climate, all stems from a disconnection from the inside and the outside. Yes. Yeah, and that we've used modern technology and a modern consumer society mm-hmm. to create pleasures that distract us from the world. And also, yeah. so busy we get distracted. Yeah. So Naropa and the Buddha Dharma help us get real mm. with who we are. Yes. What's passing through our minds, what's obsessing us in a gentlest way to bring us back again and again <laughs> to just be here, be with the wealth of this and to see with fresh eyes the beauty of this world. Slow down a little bit and open our hearts as well to things we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of distractions out there the distractions seem like they want to connect you, but they're not. Yeah. The Like you just said, the Buddha Dharma is the really root connection, the connection of your heart, the connection to the land, and the connection to how we should be and not how we are. That's right. So with all this work, how do you, I mean, it seems pretty heavy to do. This isn't an average work day to like hold activism, to hold sustainability to hold the world in mind to hold all sentient beings in mind so how do you balance a contemplative practice and the justice work where's the resilience come from how do you tend to sustain yourself well it has to do with what you think the self is Ooh, i like that Uh, that, okay yeah because that's where the lord buddha started too yeah. And just to realize that what you think is yourself is really often a torrent of appetites and responses and aches and pains and mm. wishes and feelings of complaints and remorse, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and to yeah. come home to the gift of life. And until we do that, it makes it much harder to protect life, the life of our planet. Yes. And we are enclosed in this little bundle of what the Buddha called the traps sort of of greed and hatred and delusion. Mm -hmm. And that those are fed to us by the media and they're fed to us by the culture at large. And so... The Dharma welcomes us to come back to real life and in a variety of ways. I bet that's just what's still happening at Naropa. I feel it when I go there. Yeah. Thank you for stating that. The fact that what is the self? You kind of made me realize the bigger self is all of us. It's all things. And so when we think about like how to sustain the self, it might be a lot to hold mentally and maybe physically and emotionally and psychologically, but at the same time, it's a lot easier to do the work you're talking about when it's you're doing the work for the self, which is everything around you as well. And it's not this centralized being anymore. Yeah, which is a bundle of often uh, misapprehensions and but you know what's happened in our time is uh, something quite certain. I'm thinking of from the middle of the 20th century on mm-hmm. is a realization on the part coming to us from science that the earth is a living system. Yeah. And that the ancient ones in all the ancient traditions, and we're all the aboriginal roots of all of us have carried that knowledge that we are 
in a larger living home. We belong there, and there's certain traditions, certain original instructions for living with reverence for this living home, to taste it, to hear it, Mm. the fragrance of it, the beauty of it for our eyes, this wonderful body that can take it in. And all of a sudden, you're waking up into the most incredible (laughs) garden of reality. Well, it doesn't feel and smell and look like a garden Mm. now with industrial wastelands and endless factories. Mm. But that our planet is alive is to become such an important anchor for me, you know, David, that it's... And that I live in a time when, see, before it was the mystics, perhaps, you know, they could feel that wider mystery, living mystery around us. And now through Gaia hypothesis, but it's not a hypothesis anymore, it's a Gaia theory. Mm -hmm. And it's like these two great rivers of uh, science and spirituality are flowing together to reassure us you belong to something ancient, ever fresh, Hmm. gorgeous, and intelligent. Yes. Yeah, and it's those two rivers flowing together. I kind of hear like another river of action, Uh of like the river of action. So we have the knowledge and we have the sense of self and self of outer, but we need the forward movement. And I feel like that's what you do. You have that sense of forward movement. You're like, all right, look, here's the facts. This is what's happening. We need to straighten up now. Yeah, well, that's how you know you're alive. You (laughs) know you're alive is when you see that there's a choice Mm. and you take it. Yes. And that, you know, is something so, and all the traditions point that out. But the Buddha Dharma, particularly the Tibetan tradition, you know, David, when Mm. there's that first of the preliminary reflections Mm -hmm. in the Vajrayana is to realize how rare and how precious is a human life. Yeah. Well, is that because humans are better? No. (laughs) Are they, is it because they're superior? No, no. <laughs> then why is it so rare and so precious? Mm-hmm. And it's because the humans can change the karma. Now, yes. you might say, well, now I think that other large brain brothers and sisters like the dolphins and the, you know, the sea mammals, the mm-hmm. whales, they might do well, that so, but this blessing of being able to choose And so you really come alive and you really feel connected to the larger intelligence that we're part of. When you can make a choice, (laughs) whether it's by marching, whether it's by digging, whether it's by planting an organic garden, whether it's by going to a hearing Mm -hmm. or going to right near Naropa, the right to know hearings around the taking action around a plutonium, Uh, soaked acreage that they've set aside for a playground, you know? Yeah, there's so much that we can do. And what I love about that is the feeling of solidarity with other people. Yes. You know, when you link arms with others and show up together, and especially maybe when it's a little risky, you become so grateful for each other Mm. and you feel so much respect for each other. That's one of the sweetest things I've experienced as a human, a two-legged. So it's probably like how you're saying linking arms. That's when the self gets bigger Yeah, because you're selfing up with others. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also hearing how the human life is precious, not because we're better, but because we have the ability to change karma, we have choice. Yes. And it's not only choice, it's our decisions really can impact what is happening around us, whether it be mentally or physically. There's like this internal, external choice. And so what kind of karmatic garden in which we're planning? 
You know, we want to be planting the garden that's going to be fruitful for all generations and all exactly. animals. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. What version of reality do we want to get behind? Yeah. And in the work that we connects, we kind of boil it down. Of course, there are endless varieties. Of the, but it's basically, is it business as usual? Mm-hmm. That is corporate, worldwide, globalization, the last stages of yeah. the capitalism that are finding the huge profits in plastics and in coal and gas and in military hardware. Mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of military, the bombs, the tactical weapons, it's staggering, staggering. Yeah. It's like the what the Buddha warned of the poisons of aggression and greed. They marry there in that industrial, military-industrial complex. Yeah, That sounded, that's just... What he proposed, the Buddha, of what can absolutely, totally enslave and distract us and then enslave us. Yeah. So then you're working for an institution, working with it and a product mm-hmm. of it that uh, helps people discover choice. Yeah. And, and that's giving people a wider lens. It's sharpening their senses. Mm. It's bringing them to life. Yes. You do the same thing. (laughs) You're you're giving people hope. You're giving people choices. You're letting them know what the choices are. And you bring to light some facts. And you're also giving us a strategy with the work that reconnects of how to make these choices and how to benefit all. And also like with the Joanna Macy Center at Naropa, there's another choice we can make. We can be educated in a way to move forward and make good decisions. And I really love hearing about that. And I and that choice you want to make it is to dare to say, okay, I'll feel uncomfortable a little bit. I will not blind myself yeah. to the uh, sources of suffering that we're creating. Yes. I will not distract myself and I put keep the lid on my grief and my sorrow and my outrage at the way we're treating the world and its people. Mm-hmm. I will not just keep a lid on my feelings or deciding that it's or only pathologize them, you know, that this is must be because I, I have these feelings because I'm depressed or mm-hmm. but actually to experience I know at Naropa that that's a part of the work that reconnects that yeah. has been used mm-hmm. quite a bit. Like one of the forms, that ritual of the truth mandala. Yeah. Where we facing together the shit, excuse me, <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. I kind of like it. It's <laughs> going on, yep. or even that we're part of. Mm-hmm. And we're stuck in a kind of powerlessness if we can't see it and say it. Have you noticed how with that, that builds solidarity, people come out of hiding, yeah, feeling that cool not, not to seem to care, and then they realize what's really cool is to show how much you care. Mm-hmm. And in the f- expressions of sorrow, yeah. and this expressions of outrage and anger, mm-hmm. that we are letting the fracking continue, that we mm. are letting the children be stuck in their detention centers that we are leaving so many people behind bars, that we have prisons that are a quarter of all the people imprisoned on the entire planet are here in our country. You know, when you <laughs> when you look at some of these things going on, how can you, you have to really knock yourself with some kind of sedative not, True. to not feel upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just to jump on your bag, giving a fuck is a good thing. And that's what we need to do. We need to actually <laughs> yeah. actively care and, yeah. and, and move forward. 
<laughs> when we're <laughs> when we're uh, doing so that's that but that isn't the first thing we do. Mm-hmm. So let's go back a little okay. bit. In the work that reconnects, uh, we start out because we follow a plot line. Mm-hmm. We call it the spiral mm-hmm. because it moves in that spiral, and you can keep every time you come around, you can yeah. feel it deeper and more liberating. But we always start with coming from gratitude because things are so scary today. I mean, yeah. they really are, and. We have a birthright to feel glad to be here. This is an incredible planet, and we have this incredible body that can take it in and mm-hmm. they can choose and a mouth that can speak and eyes that can see and ears that can hear and traditions we can draw from. Wow, what's not to be thankful for that? And what's not to be thankful for? Air that you can breathe, even if it's full of smoke like but that we have these hearts that know how to treasure life and hearts that know how to break. We could be glad for that, you know. Yeah. Because that's what the Bodhisattva does too. Yeah. The Bodhisattva is the boundless heart that not only can hear the birds singing in the highest heavens <laughs> and the songs of the spheres, but also the cries from the depths of suffering. That's what a heart's for. So we'd be grateful we have a heart. And that puts ground under our feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have the ability to feel the spectrum of everything. We're not segregated to one emotion. And that is the beauty of being alive. I think there's... a way to allow your heart to break without being broken. And <laughs> and that's the thing too, is that's what we're developing is to be full holistic people, to be able to see the brokenness of the earth and the way of business, but yet not be broken and deactivated from yeah. moving forward. Yeah. You know what I've come to believe is the heart that breaks open can hold the whole universe. Mm. <laughs> it's that big. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you know then what but you know what I was something else I've discovered What's that? Uh, is that gratitude is subversive. Okay. Yeah, it's politically revolutionary. Now why? It's because it undermines the industrial growth or capitalist society, consumer mm-hmm. society. Yeah, it yeah, undermines yeah. it because the consumer society is always conveying to us that we're not enough. We need this. We need that. Mm-hmm. We don't look right. We don't smell right. We don't drive the right kind of car. We don't dress right. Yeah. And we are made into feeling that we can never have enough or be enough. And so uh, we patrol the malls. So to really feel glad to be here yeah. undermines the late stage capitalism yeah. that would keep us shopping till we drop. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound fun at all. It's weird too because people might have this mindset of, oh, I don't have enough and they keep getting more, but they like have so much and they actually don't, they don't have the gift of seeing what they already have. That's right. And it's, it's sort of like that wonderful image from the Buddha Dharma of the hungry ghost. Yeah. The hungry ghost who has so much appetite and so eager and so chained and needs mm-hmm. desperately, but he's got a tiny little throat. Mm-hmm. You can hardly swallow what there is. So there's lost the capacity to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> We're gesticulating with our arms and our bodies yeah. and how they look like. <laughs> oh man. So true. And we don't want to be hungry ghosts. We're not hungry ghosts. We're humanity. We are life giving. We don't need to keep buying things to have life. We are just continuous oh. Or rather, let life flow through us. Yeah. Because it's a living planet, and everything alive is open to change. 
births and passes on. All forms change. Mm -hmm. The ancestors are with us, <laughs> will be ancestors too. The river of life flows on. And that's how it becomes a place for laughter and song because yeah. you're not trying to rigidly keep things the same. Mm -hmm. Yes. So then when you can, that gratitude puts a little grounding under your feet so that yeah. you can, what we were talking about before, feel secure enough and safe enough that you can look at what you're carrying around all the time in this time of the great unraveling. There's more inequality mm -hmm. in our country today than can almost be measured. People being bled of support to take care of their children, being denied the capacity to take care of their bodies, housing itself, their right to shelter, being placed beyond them. And we feel that. I think everybody feels that in some. And, oh, to be able to see it without fear. That's a difficult To not task, turn too. away. Yeah, yeah. To not be fearful, that's a huge thing to learn, but we have to develop the self to be able to do that work. Yeah, well, we'd just be glad to be here. We feel, To let yeah. ourselves be held. Maybe yeah. that's it. Maybe uh, it's what, the gratitude <laughs> helps you feel held yes. by life. Yes. Are you feeling held right now? I feel so held right now. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I do too. I feel held right now. Awesome. <laughs> so one thing I've heard you say was the great unraveling. It's kind of like I heard this one thing you said where it's like you're wearing a sweater and someone's pulling the string and you're yeah. just walking around the room yeah. not noticing. <laughs> and it's kind of like the emperor has no clothes or the politics have no clothes. They, yeah. They're not really willing to look at the fact that it's unraveling. Mm. you know because mm. there's there's mm. product mm. it's growth growth yeah. all day uh mm. i like how you say it growth and what what are we talking about are we talking about growth in the well-being of the planet right. growth in the well-being of right. the nature the animals the humans the livelihood of people what are we growing in it keeps yeah. going up but what is it yes so we want to come home we want to come home again mm. to a life that has meaning and has connection. This is a country of competitive and lonely people. You know, we, we are saddled with one of the most cruel experiments in the human journey, five centuries of hyper-individualism, where people have been isolated from each other and made competitive. And so pathetic. Our rulers, our governors, the, the, the political powers manipulate our fears so that we can be obedient. Yeah. So we are coming back to a time when we can rediscover what the Buddha and all these great traditions, that we belong to each other and to this world. Yes. Couldn't say it better than that. That's so good. So what part of people do you think goes rotten when we turn our backs against humanity? And how do you think we can recorrect that? Like, what is it inside a person that makes them go in the direction that is making these bad decisions and guiding masses so of people? I think we won't. What we most need to hear and the leader. Well, there are two things. Remember that Thich Nhat Hanh had such a great teacher mm -hmm. that... Zen master from Vietnam. I remember when he was asked about action. What do we most need to do for the sake of life? Mm -hmm. And I think that the ones who were asking him were thinking, oh, well, maybe he's going to say, stay on your cushion and meditate or run for office or join a barricade on the barricades, you know, direct mm -hmm. active disobedience. What is the best way? And you remember what he said was, what we most need to do for the healing of our world is to hear the earth crying inside of us, mm -hmm. to hear within ourselves the sound of the earth crying. And that is what we're doing for ourselves and each other when we 
do what we call in the work that reconnects, honor our pain for the world. Now, what does that mean? It's there inside each of us. Sometimes it feels like despair. Sometimes it feels like anger. Sometimes it feels like overwhelm. Sometimes it's being so scared you want to just crawl inside of the nearest knothole. Mm-hmm. And to not be afraid of that, but to listen to that voice. And also to listen to what makes sense deeply for you, what you ache for. And you don't ache to be the winner. You want to come home. You want to feel yourself part of a caring Hmm. culture. Developing the inner voice. Yeah. And or allowing the channels of the inner voice to sing to be awakened, to actually see what is in the root feeling. So then what happens then? One thing that happens is that you are feeling liberated from old constraints. Yes. And then also you feel a sense of connection because of that, of what you're speaking for. Mm -hmm. Because you're suffering with your world. You recognize that you can you are suffering with your world. Hmm. Well, that's the literal meaning of compassion to suffer with. You are a compassionate being. Hmm. And that's the very definition of a bodhisattva. Yeah. The hero of the Buddhist tradition. Ooh. Okay, wow. You're the one with the boundless heart, the one who can act for others the one who is not separate. So then you realize this living earth is perhaps what you really are, Mm. not separate from it. Yes. The earth is probably the biggest bodhisattva. Yeah, (laughs) right, right. All right. I had a question I was going to ask you, but you went to bodhisattva, so I'm going to ask my bodhisattva question. Oh. (laughs) So... I've heard you speak of a bodhisattva not only being someone who's spiritually enlightened and someone who is of great attainment in the world, but you've also said of being a warrior, someone who shows up and willing to be actively involved and engaged in the world. Can you speak upon that more? Like, what does that actually mean to be a bodhisattva and to be engaged? Yeah. Well, you can see that in ordinary living bodhisattvas or also in celestial bodhisattvas who are like the archetypes. So you think that with the celestial bodhisattva of Manjushri, that's the bodhisattva of wisdom, is the one who sees clearly with that sword of discernment Mm -hmm. where suffering is being created. And you can see where laws are being unjustly administered and see where the innocent are being found subjected to violence and you can act. So many people I admire are like little Manjushris being able to speak so clearly. And I see this in ordinary neighborhood committees for working with the police to lessen and diminish the police violence. They're speaking out. Mm -hmm. It's just so beautiful. Or speaking out about the dangers of the gases emitted and poison waters from the fracking. Mm -hmm. That's that kind of courage. And then there's the celestial bodhisattva, Samantabhadra, Boy, he's busy as anything. (laughs) You're going to one meeting after another. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a person being liberated, Mm -hmm. but knowing you're not going to win all the time, and you shouldn't. You're not that powerful. But you can simply speak when it's appropriate to speak, and you can also be aware, learning. There's a growing movement for nonviolence. Yeah. It's beautiful to see how you can actually take action without being a know-it-all. The I am the righteous one. I will have the total answer for every ill that we fall. That's what God is here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so the part of what we're seeing is more and more humility is the way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Being actively compassionate. Yeah. And humble. 
Yes. Right. So Avalokiteshvara, Ortara, so many of these archetypes mm-hmm. of celestial arts are inspiring because people realize that that's a part of being human that they can liberate in themselves. Yes. There's the bodhisattva inside you and me who is ready to be liberated. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So when it comes to social justice work and ecological crisis, they have this sort of inseparableness to them. They're not able to be inseparable. Could you speak to that and how it is emphasized in the work that reconnects? It's growing increasingly difficult, if not impossible, to separate the social justice from ecological, environmental justice. We are seeing in an agonizing, revolting way, how those, you could just see it right down there in New Orleans now, where there is a whole huge area being given over to increasing the reach and quantity of new chemical factories. And they poison the water, they poison the air, they poison the food, and who is forced economically to live there because of the racial prejudices, mm-hmm. the redlining of neighborhoods, yep. the, the people who have the least resources thanks to our history of economic and racial and reconstruction and Jim Crow, all of that that is pushing people, abandoning them to areas that are the most toxic to live in. And now that's not only happening in industrialized areas, but in, as you know very well, in the climate disruption, it is where the coasts are being salinated and swamped, the fisheries almost non-existent now being forced. You see that in Africa or the areas where right next to that practically of desiccation and drought. It's where people who have the least resources economically are now often the most afflicted Mm -hmm. in climate disruption. Yeah. Yeah. I feel as if I'm stating the obvious. Am I? You are, but it, but thank you. That needs to be stated because it might be obvious, but are people talking about it in such a way that propels people into engaging in what's happening? Yes, you know and I, mean? I th- and we've got to move faster on divestment yeah. from coal and gas. We've got mm-hmm. to realize that we have such a short time, and more and more people are opening their eyes to the proximity of collapse. And I think that needs to be mentioned because people, I've seen talk to so many young people and people, well, of course, at my age, everybody's young. <laughs> but <laughs> it's the word collapse is now out of the closet. Have you noticed? Oh, yeah. And it's because not only of the humongous spreading rapidity of climate disruption, mm-hmm. but that it is in the nature of an economic system that is destroying itself. Yes. What have you learned recently about diversity and inclusivity needed in the work that reconnects, and how do you recommend the path of learning for this? Well, it's been wonderful to see, actually, how those voices, because it's the work that reconnects is decentralized and it's in the hands of the ones who are doing it and we have been helping each other right on our website in our intensives for developing facilitators yeah wonderfully and high time you know Mm -hmm. recognition of ways that we can overcome a narrower view ways that people have been considered less important or even that where their suffering has been silent so that now there's been tremendous outspokenness and many people take there's as you know there's a wonderful group work that we are, have used it's across the country of ways of diminishing recognizing 
patterns of exclusion and othering and racism. And we've used the tracks of suffering from being a stolen people to those from a stolen land where people hear from indigenous people to the people of color. And it's particularly important now, of course, isn't it, when there is this hate-mongering that is getting more of a voice than ever before. Mm. So that the tools that we have are finding for how we can see the injustices to which we have inherited, either as the power holders or as the excluded. We don't have a minute to spare on this, and the resources have been very rich. I bet you're used to finding quite a lot of them. I know we are in the work that reconnects, yeah. and I bet you are too mm-hmm. in the community right there. Yeah, it's beautiful to see how welcome people are. When I think of just a generation back, so much of this was silenced. Yeah, it's definitely coming out of the closet, and it has to. Yeah. It can no longer be hidden. And even if it was in the closet, it'd be like coming out the seams. It'd be bursting the door open. And mm-hmm. it's like the people saying it's not, those aren't the people that should be saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, like, what is their agenda? What is the quality of heart that they have that they're not wanting this to be Well, I, said? I think it's fair, don't you? It could be, yeah. yeah. Mixed with a little greed in there. And the need to reach for the past, mm-hmm. reaching back, Sikh Heil, neo-Nazi, this alt-right, it's terrifying. And I think it's a combination of fear and a grab for power that comes from the need to make the world a friendly or a place that where you have room. So all the voices to recognize once again that we belong to this earth together, tied together in one interdependent garment of destiny as Dr. King said. I like that. Not to be cowed by that Mm. and not to be afraid of your own or silenced by your own ancestors. You know, some of the most outspoken folks I know and active on reweaving our culture is because they've had the courage to see in their own history, in their own ancestry, those slave owners. Yeah. And then they liberate themselves. Yeah. Nobody has is free of pain. And we can make that pain, that vulnerability, bridges to each other. Mm-hmm. My own ancestors were in the highlands of Scotland, they, we had the commons. They were held in common. And then there were the enclosures. And they were taken down and put in the mines and put in the factories. Yeah. And they, which themselves were funded by banks that were making their money from the North Atlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. So the enclosures of my ancestors into the factories with the profits from the enslavement of West Africans. You know, we can reach across these barriers of fear and distrust to realize that we've all suffered from this. Yeah. Wow. That's some huge stuff. And the thing is, is we, we don't have to be bound by the stories of our ancestors, like you're saying. That's the beauty of living our lives and growing up and showing up and learning is we get to write our own story. And it's time that the narrative changes in a way that is beneficial for all. Because if it's not, it's not sustainable. Absolutely. But also if it's not, our hearts don't get a chance to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that 
I love about the work that reconnects that helps this is that we do quite a bit of role plays. It's mm. built in, even simple, not great big improvisations necessarily, but where you can, just with one or two or three others, be put in a role where you're speaking on behalf of your ancestors. Yeah. Or your progeny or the future ones. I remember sitting in a group of three where a young woman in her 20s who was working very actively in climate change Mm -hmm. with and her goal of working in a racially highly integrated team, but she'd come from a white supremacy, slave-owning background. Wow. And that she started to speak about her fear of what her ancestors would think of her. But then when the turn came, we all were speaking, uh, we gave voice to our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And as she did, prayerfully, out of silence, listening, she spoke for the ancestors. She realized that they were saying, finally, Hmm. Finally, this is happening. Thank God. What we did doesn't have to last forever. Her working with people of color was liberating to the ancestors. Yes. Can you experience that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're on the way for our earth with the power of our earth, Mm -hmm. with our moral imagination to go for where in their heart of hearts they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, we don't always want to be imprisoned by the horrors and mistakes of the past. True. We want to be held, look each other in the eye. We want to taste the salt of the tears of the others. We want to come home with each other. Yes. Ooh. Okay, so I had a question about your workshops, actually. And I noticed that you do a lot of workshops in the work that reconnects. And I sort of understand why you do it, but I'm curious if you can speak about the impact of working with other people in this type of work and how that impacts others and the insights that people get. Any other stories that people have shared with you that are just like, wow, like I didn't get it until I was looking into someone else and I saw myself or anything like that? Oh, that's... That happens all the time. And once you've done that in a workshop, you find that you can do the, you're doing that on the street. You know, yes. that you go into totally. a place and or someone's waiting or, you, or you're in the post office and someone's, you're buying stamps or toothpaste at the <laughs> market and you look at someone and you see that they are, there's another bodhisattva. Yeah. Or that is someone who you might be with when you die. Mm. Yeah. It, it's like you learn things in a workshop, but then you go out into the world and realize there's this huge workshop and, you've been subjected to. That's right. That's right. I just got a letter the other day from a nuclear scientist who was working in a secret nuclear city in Russia and was building weapons they took because they saw the USA building yeah. weapons to all targeted, all on air trigger alert on Russian cities. Mm-hmm. And so it was the arms race is just mutually yeah. caused each other. And then and he, through my husband, did the same work and speaks Russian. He liked taking this work. We call it deep ecology work. Mm-hmm. And that was an earlier name for the work that reconnects. Yeah. And he met and he described the meeting, this the Russian, uh, who has become a himself a purveyor of this work. Because he when he met my husband, he's who speaks Russian, uh, he was saying he told me about this living planet and that we can and we quoted, I remember reading myself, even in Russia, I had read once about Chief Seattle. We belong to the earth. We don't own the earth, but we belong to the earth, and the earth can work through us. And he said, Nanny, I realized 
now, and it's, I never have outgrown it, ever. Even with the arms raised, it's now underway again. Mm-hmm. I am not just a, a Russian fearing these days. I belong, where I belong is to a living planet. That's who I am. That's what I represent. Yeah. That is the healing I want to give my life to. That is yeah. my deepest identity. Hmm. So if you could think, I think our hope, even as we face the collapse, because whether you see the collapse as the collapse of the industrial growth society or all on being manipulated by artificial intelligence set to goals that we can of maximizing profit mm-hmm. uh, when you see that, but you can realize that you can act for the earth, not for, because that's your identity. You can decide that yeah. you are here as a piece of humanity, of two legs who has realized that this is the planet is your living home. Yeah. Redefining where your allegiance lies. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Your allegiance is bigger than a country, than a state, than a person, than a political movement. And that is, yeah. And not only that, but that what you have allegiance to is that which also gives you air to breathe. Yes. And that also empowers you. You can almost feel coming through your heart yeah. that you are wow. not David or Joanna doing this, but you are mm. really the earth acting through this being yeah. with all our limitations. Yes. Oh, it's wild to think about. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> but it definitely has a, a connection feeling. You feel really invigorated and alive and willing to show up because you see where your essential allegiance lies. Exactly. And then you know that whatever happens, you will never be separated from your living earth. Yes. That you are home. Mm -hmm. Now, this magnificent... And beyond that, you belong to this universe. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) You belong to the great reciprocity at the heart of the universe which, as you serve it, blesses you and acts through you. Oh, yes. Thank you for listening. This concludes the end of the first half of my interview with Joanna Macy. Please stay tuned for next week where we will post the second half. Thank you. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.